You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That Ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. I think what you're trying to ask is uh, why am I so insistent upon giving out to them that blackness, that black power, that black pushing them to identify with uh, 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 black culture. I think that's what you're asking. It's, it's, I have no choice over it in the first place. To me, we are the most beautiful creatures in the whole world, black people. I mean, and I mean that in every, every sense, uh, outside and inside. And to me, we have a culture that uh, is surpassed by, 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 by no other civilization, but we don't know anything about it. So again, I think I've said this before in the same interview, I think uh, at some time before, my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, and welcome to the Myth Dialogue talk show. We are the return of intelligent radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning to all the intellectual outcasts. I hope y'all are tuned in for this incredible show we got lined up for you. I got another returning guest coming on the show. Anytime he comes on the show as a special guest, it is a absolutely dynamic show. And I think we're going to take this one even to a um, higher level, if you will. And so, uh, without further ado, again, I don't even think you need an introduction anymore. Von, the love, Alchemist, as you go by, that's your handle when you're out here publicly. But if you will, King, say hello to the intellectual outcast out there listening. Um, give any background that you want to give for yourself personally and maybe even as it relates to um, this morning's discussion question, even though I haven't let the cat out the bag on the question yet. Um, but thank you, King, for being with me this morning. Hey, brother. Um, just like you said, I'm, I'm Vaughn. I go by the moniker, the Love Alchemist. I'm a master relationship strategist, and I spend a good bit of my time um, strategizing and helping couples to overcome uh, the relationship pitfalls that they face, and uh, even more importantly, to establish harmony in their relationships. Absolutely, absolutely. And so as we get into this morning's discussion question, I actually got a, another special guest coming on as well. So let me get this queen introduced, just getting her on, which is a beautiful thing. I've had her on the show before. Sabrine Jolly, thank you, queen, for being with us this morning. If you will, say hello to the intellectual outcast, uh, my other special guest, Vaughn, the love alchemist. Uh, introduce yourself and give any background you would like to give before we get started with this morning's discussion question. Again, thank you for being with us, queen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you for having me on this segment of the show. I think it's always a pleasure to uh, be able to have, you know, some divine feminine energy 
uh, in these types of conversations. Uh, I'm a poet, author, and educator, and I'm so, so happy uh, to be here, and I look forward to our conversation. No, absolutely. I'm so glad you could come on with us. As I called Vaughn this week, said, hey, I want you to come on, man. We got to get a younger sister on here to make sure, you know, we understand what's actually happening in these streets or whatever. Uh, Vaughn, as y'all heard, long-time relationship coach, long-time uh, brother's been married for a long time, so he brings the wisdom, if you will. I called him this week, and I said, well, I, you know, I got a lot of info and a lot of knowledge, but we need you for the wisdom. And so uh, I highlighted, I said, we, this show will really work if we can get a young sister on as we talk about this morning's discussion question, does black culture raise black boys to be real niggas or real men? Again, that question is, does black culture raise black boys to be real niggas or real men? And as I was reaching out to you, and I was like, yeah, we, you know, we can have this obviously from the male perspective, but we also want to understand what's happening for, if you will, our younger sisters out there as well. So, so glad to have you on this morning, Sabrina. Uh, I'm actually going to um, ask you, Queen, again, I kind of got you at the last minute. Thank you for making time for us. Uh, but the way we typically start the show, if you will, uh, when you saw the question worded this particular way, can you recall your first, just your initial thought? What popped in your mind when you saw this question this morning? Uh, my my initial thought uh, was kind of like a three-way thing, more so like a breaking down of the question. First of all, what is black culture? What does that look like generally? Uh, and what's a real nigga and what's a real man? Um, and how does what we know as um, um, what we, I guess, know of about the, the black culture, how does that affect that? So um, it, it's kind of a weird question. It's a simple question, but um, – I think it's a lot of uh, definition that needs to be, um, you know, moved out before you can really, really dig into the question. No, I definitely respect that. Uh, obviously, yes, you're, you're right to a degree. People can have different perspectives of what all those things are. I will say quite often when we attack these shows, having, a, if you will, a full two hours to kind of get deep into these discussions, I would highlight that, I actually like for people to, in a sense, come to the conversation with whatever they think those things are um, versus, in a sense, trying to create this common baseline to have the conversation. That is a smart approach. I never disagree with it. It quite often happens when you have, you know, if you will, these ambiguous terms. But the reality is people do have their own perspectives, and it's almost like however you come at it, let's have that dialogue and mesh it out, which is what we'll absolutely do this morning. Avon, uh, I'll turn around and ask you the very same question. Um, obviously, I reached out to you and said, hey, can you come on when you when I Actually, I worded the question another way, and then you heard it. You, I reached out to you and said, hey, I changed the question. So when I changed the question, can you recall your first initial thought when you heard it this way? Yeah, you know, it's, it's real interesting because, uh, to, to coin your phrase, it is very nuanced. And I don't think it's just a straight, um, straightforward, simple answer. Uh, but I will say that a whole lot of what it means to be black in in this society isn't defined by black people for the benefit of black people. So kind of like uh, Joe Biden when he said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the narrative of what it means to be black is often constructed by those, by, by an entity, by an energy that doesn't seem to want the progress of black people. So with that being said, black, quote-unquote, black culture 
is often counterproductive to what it means to raise real men. And by default, it often encourages the growth of quote-unquote real niggas. Hey, strong thoughts. I love it. Um, we actually got a couple of minutes before break, so um, actually we can just explore just a few thoughts um, before we get into it again, just to kind of set the stage, if you will. Um, if you're out there listening, we'll definitely want to get your thoughts in on this morning's discussion. And, you know, you make a good point, one that, you know, as you said, is it, is it always defined by us? And I will I'll highlight the other end of it. There are aspects that we, in a, in a sense, we do take on and start using those definitions sometimes handed to us. And I would even challenge sometimes not necessarily handed for us, like the, like, for example, not handed to us, if you will. And I'll, I'll just highlight this. Whereas we love, in a sense, we love to highlight how the world, if you will, uh, loves to benefit off of black culture, style, our, our drum beats, our swag, if you will. And so to a degree, we know that's, our thing and comes from us, if you will, and I'm just offering in a nuance and general and general way, if you can even put those two words together, that that thing that we are proud of also, if you will, plays a role in what we aim for, and particularly our black boys. And it's almost, I guess what I'm saying, Vaughn, to a degree, if we applaud that aspect that comes from us, even some of that doesn't necessarily raise our boys to be in a sense the the men whatever that is that we would want them to be does that make sense kind of what i'm saying like owning some of the aspect of what we put in the culture ourselves that doesn't benefit us benefit manhood if you will um give me a quick thought and then we're going to go to break and keep continuing this conversation if that makes sense no it, it makes 100 percent sense to me uh and i'll i'll just add this one thing that to you know the the strongest and the most successful cultures of people have a consistency a a, con, a continuity mm-hmm. um, from generation to generation men and what strongest um displays of manhood and, and, and ours is a broken continuity if nothing else so a lot no, of times we're figuring it out point. for the first time for the first absolutely very strong point let's go Take to this it. first break okay. no i said no no i agree with you 100% that is a key factor that was a great thing to introduce to get this show started we're going to go to this first break we'll come back and get into this morning's discussion question does black culture raise black boys to be real niggas or real men we'll be right back you're listening to the mental dialogue talk show where all i ask is that you think on saturday 4 p.m november the 11th lulu events presents a play asking the ultimate question why should i get married Join us for a tale of love and marriage and a different kind of date night with good food, good drinks, and a celebration of longtime married couples leading by example. Tickets are only $25. Please visit eventbrite.com and search in Georgia for Why Should I Get Married? Limited seating, so order your tickets now and catch this night full of love, power, and agreement. Saturday, 4 p.m., November the 11th. Why Should I Get Married? Nigga, 
hotline. Bullshit. Why do I call myself a nigga, you ask me? Well, it's because motherfuckers want to blast me and run me out of my neighborhood. They label me as a dope dealer, yo. They say that I'm no good, but I gave my job so niggas wouldn't have to go out. Give up the dope in a corner so they can show out. When the cops came, they gave a fake name Because the life in the streets is just a head game So therefore, to make more A 15-year-old black kid will go and rob a liquor store And get shot in the process He ain't up a nine bullet, nice put no rest Why do I call myself a nigga, you ask me? I guess it's just the way shit has to be Back when I was young, getting a job was murder Fuck flipping burgers, cause I deserve a Nine to five, I could be proud of That I could speak loud of discussion question does black culture raise black boys to be real niggas or real men special guest bond the love alchemist as well as poets bream jolly and i break down and bring on nwa if you hadn't figured out we are not a politically correct show um, a song called niggas for life one of my favorite albums as a young man and i play a couple of minutes of that track because in that couple of minutes, it highlights a full gamut of things within that. I'm going to highlight a few of the, a few of those things because I want to dialogue, you know, and like I say, admit even the personal effect that a, that song, me growing up way in South Carolina, NWA, if you don't know their story, or out of L.A., it was in a sense uh, the NWA, if you will, became national and introduced L.A. gang life to a degree, to the rest of America that lived in America's underbelly, and most of us didn't even know that there were youth even living like that um, uh, until NWA kind of breaks on the scene. This is from their second album, just to give a little more context. But again, I played a couple of minutes of it because it talks about using that word and being a nigga, and he says, why do I call myself a nigga? Like, this is a word I don't even like using anymore, typically don't use anymore, but for the effect of having this conversation is obviously necessary, and we are not a politically correct show, so we don't talk around words. With that said, here's a few things that were highlighted, and uh, Vaughn, I'll start with you, if you will. But he highlighted both ends of the spectrum, being in the concrete jungle, in the hood, if you will, um, nine to fives. He doesn't want to flip burgers because that can't get him out of the concrete jungle. That's one one end of it. What's happening with the police harassment, getting thrown on the ground, if you will, with the police harassment. Uh, but to be a nigga, he doesn't care about another, if you will. And all he cares about is getting paid, if you will. And so I become this nigga and become this thing because 
I can rap about this and get out of this hood versus live like this and potentially go to jail or be killed. So um, this is not an indictment on rap music. It's just highlighting all that is encompassed in those two minutes of that song. You can talk about all those aspects. And Dre is saying, here's why I refer to myself as a nigga. So a lot said there, brother. Anything you want to peel back and Sabrina will get your thoughts next. Yeah, to me, one one of the things that it highlights is a a a, a sense of hyper individualism, where it's me and what I need above really any even oftentimes at the expense of anyone or anything else. Um, it's a very dangerous and destructive type of way to live, um, particularly when you consider all of the collateral damage that our quote unquote success from that aspect um, often leaves in its wake. So that it's, it's, it's wild, man. Sabrine, um, you know, I'm, I always tell people I'm the same age as hip hop. I just turned 50 a couple of days ago. Hip hop is 50 years old. And I watched this full transition was a huge fan of NWA because as a young man, as a teenager, uh, young music, music for young people always to a degree is going to be counterculture. So we people try to berate hip hop for you know for for what it did when we were young whatever but it was the same as you know with rock and roll years ago the young people are always going to in a sense gravitate to counterculture so as much as I loved hip hop prior to quote unquote gangster rap becoming prominent if you will because I love the conscious rap I grew up with the um, UTFOs and the Rock M's and well again when hip hop wasn't seen in this manner if you will but I'm highlighting that personal transition because as a young man, I gravitated to it and it was counterculture in the sense that, well, if this is how Americans are going to see me any, anyway, I embraced it. And so even as Vaughn points out how dangerous it is for, for maybe not Dr. Dre, who's only rapping about that life or whatever, but for a young man who's actually living that life in LA, his life is so dangerous that how can he not be individual to survive? I'm not necessarily defending against what Vaughn is saying, but I just want to highlight how it is so natural if your own experience is one of survival that it's hard to hear, if you will, what might be better for the the entire culture, if you will. Your thoughts, Queen? Well, in, in terms of um, you, you know, I, I could even uh, concur with that in terms of like what I listen to and what I, I ingest because I do – know the impacts of how music uh, shapes, uh, and just artistry, period, uh, shapes uh, black people. And uh, we as a culture are, um, or we as a, a people um, are honestly some of the only people that I know that uh, is, is so heavily influenced by the talent. And it's because it's a part of our culture. It's a part of who we are. We are a talented group of people. We are very rhythmic and you know, swag-oriented and all of those different types of things. So all of that is a part of who we are. And um, I feel like there's this dichotomy with with with, with uh, black people. Like I feel like sometimes we feel as if we have to be all of one thing um, when, in fact, we can be uh, multiple things. Like two things can be true at the same time. Uh, we can, um, you know, embrace the, the, the era of Rakim and, you know, and, and Nas and all this, this empowerment. Um, but there's a reality uh, 
in the hood in L.A. where um, they're, they're fighting these wars and they're having to deal with these types of things. So I think that um, I think that um, two things can be true at the same time. Now, I feel you on that, and I want to go right back to Vaughn. And for the callers out there, if y'all want to join us, you do have to press 1 uh, just to let y'all know. See several callers out there. Um, so, now I definitely appreciate that. And, yeah, humans, we are all things. I think you're kind of just speaking to that. We can um, – I actually just did a – I do a new, uh, a new podcast, a five-minute podcast called Swell, and I was highlighting that dichotomy of just humans in general. We can be destructive as well as peaceful. So I think to a degree you're highlighting that. Um, to in a degree in what you're saying, Sabrina, uh, but to just really relate it to this morning's discussion question, does black culture raise black boys to be real niggas or real men? Vaughn, I'll go back to you because I'm admitting being of the age where I embraced, like that was the counterculture. I remember the transition. I remember when the Malcolm X and the red, black, and green, when conscious rap was big or whatever. And then I remember the first time I heard mm-hmm. NWA, I was like, wait, what the heck is this? Here's an aspect of even to what Sabrina talked about. Like, again, when I highlight what the young male in L.A. was actually going through, I'm just ingesting the music in a two-stoplight country town only, only, only really been able to relate to like the lyrics we just played. Only really been able to le- relate to how police treated me in my town. But the other aspect was not no parts of my life, but I got caught up and mesmerized that by that. So, like I said, I can relate to some of the police stuff and not the brutality to the extent that the, you know, that Dre talked about. But you know, growing up in the South, you can imagine, and and, and you know, even to add this context. Uh, the Ku Klux Klan marched in my town to the fifth grade. So I'm from that type of area. So I could specifically relate to the police stuff, but the rest of it was nothing of my world, but I found myself wanting to embrace even more that word nigga, even being grown, even being raised in a black church where my grandparents would have hated the fact that I was embracing that word. Of course, everybody in a, in a sense said around it, but my grandparents didn't necessarily, they didn't say that or whatever. My, my uncles and that type of thing did. They wouldn't have necessarily frowned upon it, but as a young boy, they wouldn't have wanted me to embrace that. But I did get that influence by hearing about a world that was nothing like mine. Your thoughts, King? It, you know, the marketing behind uh, gangster rap and um, yeah, I'll just stay with gangster rap. The, the marketing behind that was genius, man. So much to the point that, um, so I, I, I grew up in the projects until I was about 12 years old, and then we moved out to the suburbs. And it was, <clears throat> obviously it was nicer in the suburbs, but the marketing behind what it means to be a quote-unquote real nigger and the way they pushed that gangster rap, it made the allure of the hood so strong that even when you had an opportunity to escape it, there was a, a gravitational pull to come back to it. And you'll find that even many suburban kids like what you just described who've never even experienced the smallest taste of that hood life, um, they, they like something in them clamored for it. And um, it's, it's the marketing, and it goes back to what I was saying about how um, the narrative of the black isn't created by ideas that are actually promoting black success. So to the point that um, Queen was making a minute ago, I think that people are, in general, it's not just 
black people, but I think people in general are easily influenced, or not even easily necessarily, but just um, influenced by marketing, by media, images, uh, and they invest tons and tons of money in that stuff so that they can get the type of outcomes, I think, in many regards, that, that we see today, whether they're, you know, good or whatever. And the difference between black culture versus non-black culture is that there tends to be a balance. So even though on the one hand they may have the the crazy display, like The Shining, for instance, uh, the horror movies where Jack Nicholson played this monster of a character, on the other side they have Superman. You know, so you, you get the good and the bad. And hip-hop used to have that in the early days. We had Heavy D and Carol kind of counterbalance NWA and Too Short. And, and unfortunately, now that, that balance is gone, and, and most of what is, is paving the way for what we have as, quote, unquote, real black manhood today is often not the most constructive images. No, I, I will agree 100% with the lack of balance. Uh, you and I, we've talked about this, and we've disagreed on the show where if in the sense of that the marketing is what led the way. And I'm telling you, as a young man, we clamored for this counterculture of music that was being made without any influence. And there wasn't being influenced to make that music, if you will. I'm just kind of just pointing out a little nuance. Not, well, I don't want to have you know, that dialogue or argument again, but I just want to point it out that as young men, we were clamoring for without any marketing and I and I and me as a, a super strong hip hop head, I remember digging this music up from the underground. It wasn't something that would be played on B T at the time or whatever, but gravitating, which is what young people do, gravitate to the counterculture and we find it. Um NDA got blew up technically because they were able to sell a million records without any marketing and then that's when the music industry jumped in the game to say oh wow this stuff is selling to this degree that's when the marketing came uh, but young people we were clamoring and it definitely influenced um, you know just being honest influenced I'm growing up in a southern town um, I was fortunate enough to live with my grandparents until about 8th Till I was eight years old, if you will, and I always highlight even when we moved out, I could still walk to their house in ten minutes. So I personally had my grandfather to a degree in the home, um, you know, worked all the time, you know, typical Southern home, if you will. But I had, I'll say, luckily, let me say this: luckily, due to his influence, I actually had a different outcome than most of my friends who had no father figure whatsoever in the home, which was. Unfortunately, the majority of us in my town, black boys specifically, if you will. And so I'm very aware of the game my grandfather gave me while also attaching to this counterculture. But it definitely made a difference. Like just a small example. I remember um, my cousins, if you one of my cousins or whatever, was kind of in a little crew that used to do a lot of shoplifting. And of course, that graduated to other things later or whatever. But I remember my grandfather they kind of got a little reputation. And my grandfather just said, boy, before you ever do that, you come and ask me for something. I never did just based on a lot of the discipline that my grandfather taught me or whatever, but it made the difference of me actually doing exactly what they did. Now I did mess around and, you know, help them hustle some of their goods, if you will, but I wouldn't participate <laughs> firsthand based on just having a man say that to me, which is something they 
never were able to hear by not having father figures in their lives at all. Um, but I'll just kind of let you respond as I kind of directed some of that at you, and then I want to hear Sabrina's thought before we go to the next break. Yeah, no, you know, I don't have a, um, much of a, a disagreement um, with it. I, I, you know, I think where we disagree is on, on maybe the intent behind the marketing as much as anything else. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't accurately that because you know neither of us is in the boardroom when these things are discussed. Um, but what we can measure accurately are the outcomes. And one thing about young young males is if you don't give them something constructive, they'll find something. Um, to do, and is often not necessarily constructive. And, and you can look at how gang activity is born out of that idea. Um, if, if they don't have something to do, uh, something constructive to, to put their time and energy into. And to, so to the point that you made, you know, you, you'll find it, you know, um, when you're looking for, for something to get into. I think one, maybe one difference is that um, human behavior and psychology, uh, this isn't a new science. And so people have known how to – I'll say it this way. Henry Ford, um, this was what, early 1900s, late 1800s, he said uh, 2% of the people think. 3% of the people think they think. 95% of the people would rather die than think, (laughs) which means that overwhelming majority of the people are going to go with the flow regardless of whatever that flow is. So if you cast a wide enough net, you put an idea out there, whether it's constructive or destructive, if it's a loud enough amplifying mechanism behind that idea, you're going to catch, you're going to catch a lot of fish. Now, I agree with that. Um, actually, Sabrina, before we get to you, let's go to this break, and we're gonna, this cut that we're going to play after this break is going to take us in a different direction. But, yeah, I definitely and, – and, and let me say, here's where we do agree. Um, I just kind of highlighted the start of how Gangster Rap got to its space. I think a lot of stuff that you talk about, things you're talking about right now, Vaughn, have absolutely been applied to it once it became a thing and it was like, oh, we can make money off of it. Then what you're talking about, I just think, you know, that everything you're saying applies. So I'm not disagreeing with that part at all, if that makes sense. But let's go to this break. And if y'all will, listen to this next cut and uh, let's keep this conversation going. It's going to kind of wrap up. Um, the, the aspect of the, if you, in my opinion, with the role that hip hop has played into our value system for us becoming um, men, if you will, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. What happens when your customers call your business and you're too busy to answer or call them back in a timely manner? You lose that business. Shockingly, 61% of inbound calls go unanswered. But fear not. TCHmedia.ai is here to change the game. We specialize in capturing, nurturing, and converting your prospects into loyal customers. With our state-of-the-art communication solutions, no interaction will be left behind. When you miss a call, we've got you covered with automatic, engaging text that keep your prospects connected and eager to choose you over your competitors. Don't let potential customers slip away. Make the smart choice with tchmedia.ai and skyrocket your conversions today. tchmedia.ai is here to change the game. Change the game. Change the game. What happened was hip-hop blew up on its own so strong that the things that they started talking about in hip-hop, we unfortunately started embracing it as a value system 
in the African American community. Here's three things you always heard in hip hop when it when this when this became prevalent and what used to be underground became mainstream. Here's the three things you always heard. You always heard, "Don't trust anyone." Mob, money over bitches. Right. And no snitching. Right. Okay. If you really live the street life, them three things might help you survive the street life. Right. What happened is hip hop became so big, we start speaking to these principles. Ain't none of us know nowhere close to being in the streets. Right. And we're living these principles. When you think about those three things, how could you ever come together culturally if you live by those three things? Because those three things are to help you survive individually in the street life if you choose that life. Right. But we loved hip-hop, and it became our culture so much. I'm going to college talking about not snitching on some stuff we're doing in college. There ain't no street life stuff. Right. And I'm, I'm just trying to show the silliness and the immaturity of starting to accept that in the culture. To the extent that fuck the police, because we had all had our own experiences as young African-American men with the police, even in our country town, that was not favorable. So right. after the police was something that we loved it because of our own personal experience as young men, mm-hmm. right? So we, we related to it from that sense. We're not living the street life, but we had our own bad run-ins with the police. So I get how we attach to the counterculture when you think about our history as African-Americans. So I get how the marriage happened. But when I see what's happening with Young Thug at this point, where now we see an artist who's possibly not separating, right? Not just talking about it, but possibly, you know, keeping it real and actually living possibly what they speak about. Again, right now it's a legend, but usually you don't escape no 10-year Rico. That's just keeping it above, right? Yeah. But more like it. So in fact, if he goes down for this, he's no longer separating it. When I'm watching that, I'm going, okay, it's time for us who were raised in this hip-hop thing to grow up. We actually should be highlighting District Attorney Fannie T. Willis for taking a street gang that's possibly responsible for 50 murders off the street. That's not something we're comfortable saying because we've accepted a value system that that does not apply for a culture to come in, coming together whatsoever. What culture comes together where there's no trust, hate is women, and if somebody get harmed, you ain't supposed to say nothing. What culture? Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, does black culture raise black boys to be real niggas or real men? Special guest, Von Love Alchemist, as well as Sabrina Jolly. Sabrina Queen, I'm assuming that's the first time you've heard. It was me making a passionate uh Soapbox, if you will, on my Just My Three Cents show I was doing on YouTube a while back, and I cut that up, and I'm highlighting it here this morning, uh, but I think it absolutely relates to what we were just talking about, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts hearing it, I'm assuming again for the first time, but if you will, Queen, give us your three cents on that. Yes, so um, I actually agree. I think um, that those things that you mentioned, uh, you know, money over bitches, don't trust anybody, and then the whole no snitching policy has become, uh, rather than being a thing that was uh, specific to people who were dealing with, you know, street life, it's become something that we've embraced in totality as um, as, as as a black people. 
Um, and then I also thought uh, a little bit about uh, what you guys uh, spoke about in terms of, like, influence. And I think to the question of is black culture um, raising or, or, yeah, raising or promoting black niggas or black men, um, you know, I think because we've embraced, um, I guess, the, 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 the music culture so much to raise us, um, and because the music culture reflects so much of the street life and so much of, like, the, the, the negative side of things, um, I would say it's a combination of the two. It depends on what, what we're looking at as black men and black niggas. Uh, we all know what a nigga is, right? But um, it's, it's crazy how, you know, our what we know of, of black men nowadays has completely changed. It even goes into the whole conversation of 50-50 versus the traditional man. And for me personally, you know, I I know what my view of a man is. I, I, I can't completely speak to that being that I'm not a man. Um, but just from observation, um, it's in the way um, you all move. And so for the men that I see, they're providers. And so, uh, and by any means necessary, um, uh, that's one thing that I've never had to worry about. It's a certain level of, 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 of security um, that women feel when they know that, you know, men are going to provide. And so that's been a big thing. And not only that, how they treat women, how they treat the community, what they invest into the uh, what they invest into the community. And because media and, um, uh, unfortunately, the negative side of media has so much influence and impact on how we operate um, just in general, um, I feel like there's, there's like a, a – <laughs> niggas are at an all-time high. Um, and, and what we know um, men to be has become this skewed thing because a lot of people aren't being raised in households or, or, or having the type of influence that shows them what it means to be a man. I know a lot of, um, you know, me being a teacher as well, you know, I think about, you know, certain students um, and, and them growing up without men in the house, right? So who, who's teaching them how to put on a condom? Who's teaching them how to talk to women? Who's teaching them how to, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, direct their energy uh, to find something constructive to do? Because just uh, it starts very, very young. And I love the point that you all brought up about how um, if you don't give a young boy uh, or even a man something constructive to do, they'll find something to do. And usually it'll it's something that's not so positive. And I've seen that even in children uh, starting at the age of eight. So if we don't, we're not grabbing them at the ages, at those tender ages, then of course the media is going to get them. Of course, uh, it's easier for the uh, for this generation of hip hop, or what we think is hip hop, to influence these um, these young boys who eventually become the young men that we know. So now, what we view as young or, or what we view as men has completely changed because all we all they know is what they've seen over the course of the year, which is ultimately BS. So. No, I appreciate the thoughts, Queen. Um, yeah, I'm gonna jump, let you jump right in, Vaughn. I was just just highlighting that that I'm, you know, in that cut, I'm speaking to the fact that I can say this now: being a real nigga became the beacon for a lot of us as young boys of what a man was. That was highlighted. That's how we were able to catch girls because that was the thing. Because that's usually what all you know that's that what that's definitely what matters when you're young and dumb and full of commas they always say so whatever whatever is working for that is what a lot of big, a lot of boys will gravitate to because at that point you're not trying to be a man you're just 
well, you're trying to be the version of 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 of, of of a man that can get with women, if you will, which has nothing to do with the responsibility of being a man, but um, it definitely became the beacon. And I highlighted at the end of that cut that it is not time to admit how silly it was and try to change what the beacon is for young men, despite what's happening in the music, if you will. Go ahead, um, Brother Vaughn. You know, so many layers to what y'all just shared. There's a story of um, elephants in Kruger National Park in Africa. Mm -hmm. Africa, I think it is. Uh, It's called Elephants and Men. And and in short, it just basically describes how destructive young males can be if they don't have the presence of older predominant males, right? And, um, you know, elephants went wild and they started killing other animals. These are young male elephants. And then when they brought in the bull males, the, the 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 destructive behavior stopped overnight, and when you look at, you know, what's going on with, um, in in the community where young black males are, tend to be more destructive. There's an absence of that adult male presence or constructive adult male presence. So, I go back to just to highlight that quote that I made about Henry Ford, where 95% of the people would rather die than think. It remind, I think about um, the rapper Wise Intelligent. He was doing an interview, and he was talking about how the AR execs would encourage certain ideas, like gangsta gangsta, you know, with Ice Cube, and a bitch is a bitch, and fuck the police, and things like that. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in side. on that because I've heard you say that on the show before, and I really just want to stay away from the – I'm yeah. just being – at this point, I don't want to get about the influence of the media. I'm talking about us, bud, because I don't know – because I know what Wise – I'm just no, no, Okay, okay, okay. I just, I just, because okay, I'll let you finish, but I'm just kind of highlighting that that point he may, you know, we don't agree on that, and I'm just, and because Ice Cube said nobody ever influenced what he wrote, so it's just like I just, I just want to be away from the influence as much as us just talking about what's happening with us. But go ahead, brother. Just kind of, I'm just kind of highlighting. I remember this example from before. Well, so so the point is, when you say does our culture raise men or real niggas, we, we're talking about the influences that are predominant, right? And so where are these influences coming from? Because, you know, we, we can say things like, well, everybody makes choices. Well, that's true, but your choices are also based on your options and your influences. So when I was talking about the music and, and the influences, I, I'm talking about a set of ideas that are, that are put out in front of us that we might not have ever even considered before. Like before I heard Gangster Gangster, that kind of where Ice Cube described a rat pack where we jump on the nigga for nothing at all. Ice Cube will go stupid when I'm full of eight ball. I, I had never even been introduced to that concept. But all of a sudden that was kind of energizing, right? I'm a sophomore in high school and here I am like, you know, is this what manhood is? And then, no, I get it. I get know, it. I just want to highlight. I just want to, I don't think I'm highlighting is, that's what they did, not because somebody influenced them. They, they, it, it came from what you were talking about earlier, the young male not having, you know, someone to guide them. So on their own, they became gangs, and they did it, and Cube just rapped about it. Like, like I don't want to call that outside yeah. influence. I'm just kind of making sure that's not the point. Like, yeah, I get how it influenced you, well, but that ain't outside influence. Well, what's keeping it about it? I didn't come up with it. Yeah, I didn't come up with it on my own. I didn't, but I'm saying 
Cube rapped about what was really happening in their street life that wasn't influenced by no outside people. Like, I'm, I, I do own, I'm not talking about choices, but I don't want to keep highlighting that somebody else made, you know, did it get distributed to you to hear it? Yes. Did somebody make money off of it? Yes. But that influence is straight from those young, the example you gave, those young black males not having guidance right. and creating their own world, and Cube just happened to live somewhere and rap about it. So I don't, I don't, I don't know how attaching outside influence to becoming a, like I'm just talking about. Let's own that and talk about how hard it is to become a male, a man, if you will, when. Part of the reason they may be acting that way is because they had a, a lack of male figures. Like that's more of it than outside influence. I'm just, I just, I'm just kind of trying to get away from the outside influence conversation. If that, because I don't, I just, I'm just trying to. Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense because that's not outside influence, but why you heard it? That's what they wrote about themselves based on their real life experience. That I'm not disagreeing with that. What, what I'm also okay. layering with that is what what's allowed to be heard. Right, so for instance, Michael Jackson, when he made that song, they don't really care about us. They made him, they remastered that song, the part where he said, "Kick me, kike me, don't you black or white me." Right, that. So there are things, there are ideas that are not allowed to be played, and so therefore you're not allowed to be influenced by a certain set of ideas. Whereas there's a there's a, a megaphone put on a different set of ideas, and, and all of these influences are external. Well, the majority of them. You take a human being, and I won't say that he's a clean slate coming out of the womb because you come with some DNA, some information in your DNA and some tendencies to behave this way or that way. But there is a, a part of your mental makeup that's going to be influenced externally, a very big part of it, your formative years, et cetera. And so if there are certain – we talked about this the last time I was on your show, the reason that Russia and China banned hip-hop. There are a certain set of ideas that are not allowed to be introduced when you want a constructive outcome from your. So people. let me let me jump to this because right. we're up against the break. Let me jump let me jump to this because we're up against the break. Okay. And again, I'm just going to encourage us to talk about it within our own culture because you know again we just kind of disagree on that. And the reason we disagree is because you're right about what's allowed, but it's the cultures themselves who have an intact culture. To your point earlier in the show. They stand up about what they don't want. You can't say kite me because the Jewish community doesn't want it. That's why it's not influence of somebody over us saying, let's give them this. Those cultures stand up and say, I don't want this said about me. So to your point earlier, our lack of intact culture is to a degree why we don't stand up. I just would, like, I'm just trying to get away from the music part of the conversation and just continue dialoguing through this thing. Well, again, I think the next set will get us, get us in. Go ahead. Uh, let me, let me just go to, let me go to this break. Cause I'm, I'm missing my break and I want to um, keep, keep on time. So we'll be right back. You're listening to the mental dialogue talk show where all I ask is that you think, Hey, are you a wine drinker? Eh, a little bit here and there, but, but my wife definitely loves her. Why you ask? Man, you got to try this vegan wine by sip and share wine. I ran across them at this event in Atlanta and now I keep me a few bottles at the house. What, what flavor you like? Um, I mean, I'd like to a good red or, or maybe a nice dipping gel or something. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Try the sweet red first. Hmm. Okay, that's, that's, that's nice and smooth right there. Yeah, that's kind of sweet like I like it. You know what I'm talking about? For sure. That's why I like that one as well. Hey, hey now try this Conjure Sippin' Dale. 
This one was featured in Forbes magazine as a top 10 drink for the summer. See what you think. Oh, okay. Now that's fire right there. Where can I get a bottle of that? Just go to SipAndShareWines.com. They'll ship it right to your door. They black on too. Oh, yeah? Okay, you said what? ShipAndShareWines.com? Is that it? Yep. Yeah. I ain't see it. About, about the murder? About him, how he killed his uh, baby mother's brother? Over suck my dick? He basically told me like, I was dead, and he ended up telling me you could suck my dick. Over the phone? Over the phone. I go to the avenue, like it's, if you know through it's like it's one, 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 like strip on, uh, what's that, Dewey? Uh, Dewey, right? Yeah. And I go to Dewey because I know he's always out there. That's where he hustles at. And, uh, so I see him on Dewey. Um, we exchange a few words. You know, he's talking some gangster shit. I'm talking some gangster shit. Did, did, he, did he threaten you at that point? Um... It happened so fast. I don't know that he threatened me. You know, he turned around and just was talking shit. Like, when I ran up on him, he was like, what? Like, well, yeah, you know. I backed out and clapped him. I remember running, leaving the scene. I remember getting rid of the gun. And I remember thinking, damn, damn, like, yeah, I fucked my life up. What is it in New York? I feel this is a New York thing. What is it about the word suck my dick that gets people so riled up? I don't understand it. But you say it. You know what I mean? Um, you tell another man suck my dick. What does that even mean, though? That, that's like... That means suck my dick. That means it's <laughs> a different type of thing, bro. But, but that don't even sound appealing. Probably like, you know what I mean? Like, disrespectful <laughs> shit. They invented the same. Like, yeah, he sucked my dick. I mean, Give me not a high just, five. Not justified. <laughs> okay. Not justified in court. <laughs> you know, you can't go to court and say, "Yo, he said suck my dick," so I killed him. I, but, I, just, uh, I just, it's a jail shit, right? I'm gonna be honest with you. If somebody told me suck my dick right now in in this hallway or something like that, I would stab him up or something right now. Like, I'm just being honest with you. I would really, really yeah, hurt. This those guy. words are that serious to you. Yeah, those are serious to any real nigga. Like, see your face and tell you your dead homie in your face. You gonna tell me all oh, those are nothing but words? Yeah, I'm gonna tell nah, you. Nah, hell listen, no, you, those hey, are fighting words. I'm those gonna tell, are hey, listen, words. I'm gonna tell you a goddamn lie. What I'm gonna fight you for? And I got to go home to my kids. I'm gonna fight you for a nigga and I make damn near ten thousand dollars a week and that can stop. What I'm gonna fight you? My homies is dead. Your words don't hurt me. Fuck your mama, nigga. You don't know now, nigga. Matter of fact, I ain't even got no dead homies, nigga. I'm 45 years old. I ain't got no dead homies. How that's gonna hurt me? I'm a grown goddamn man. Don't no words affect me, boy. Words affect your mama, son. Words don't affect no man. Words affect boys and women, nigga. I'm a goddamn man who a woman listen to when I talk. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, does black culture raise black boys to be real niggas or real men? So we hear two separate cuts, one from Vlad TV with Fat Joe, if you know who that rapper is, from 2018 and a recent conversation last year, I think that was, with Charleston White, um, talking to a young brother from Chicago just putting some context into what you heard, but I think aptly applies to this morning's um, discussion. We got a caller that wants to get in um, as well, but I'm going to 
um, address those cuts first before we get to you, um, 954. Um, Sabrine, I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts, just what what resonates, I think, kind of walking through what you just heard. Uh, matter of fact, let me give a little more context. The first voice was um, a former rapper by Chi Ali who spent years in jail because he ended up killing someone for saying, suck my dick. And, um, and again, that Joe reiterates that even though it's crazy, you know, just five years ago as a grown, as, you know, as a grown man and quote unquote, a real nigga, he would still hurt somebody over suck my dick. And then Charleston White says, this is silliness. Your thoughts in hearing those two cuts, Queen? Well, I can't, um, for me, I won't necessarily speak to the uh, point of, uh, you know, killing somebody because of it, because, you know, <laughs> people have their motivations. I'm not justifying it or anything like that. But what I will say is that um, I can understand how hearing that from another man is emasculating to, in, in, to a degree, right? Because when you think of um, uh, a heterosexual male, you think of a, I guess a, a a a leading man, a dominant man, an alpha male, um, and, and you think about the term, you know, suck my. You think of a woman, right? And so I think that it, it's it's a it's a form of disrespect. It's like belittling you, like you you're seen as a lesser than, or you're seen as more fragile, um, um, similar to a woman when you hear something like that. So it's almost a, a test of of who you are as a man. So I can understand why men get offended or upset by that um now to the point of of killing somebody that's another story but there are also some things you know that may be rooted um in history that mm-hmm. can um you know that that affect uh, the way a man thinks about that in terms of like you know people men being uh buck broken and things like that so it, it's a um it's a it's a lot of different layers to it um, but I, I can, again, I can't understand why a man will feel a way about that. I don't think uh, that a man shouldn't feel a way if he hears another man telling him something like that. Now, fair enough, um, Vaughn, If you will, your thoughts to that cut as well. Then we're going to get to the um, get to the caller as well. Yeah, she hit the nail on the head, and I'll only extend that. Um, I think the more in jeopardy you feel your sense of manhood is the more extreme the response might be, which alludes to why someone might kill as opposed to just being able to walk away from that conversation. So uh, if you look at the collective sense of what manhood is, black manhood and black masculinity, there seems to be a, I think the sentiment, a large sentiment is that our manhood is somehow not measuring up to uh, whatever our counterparts' level of manhood might be, meaning ours is more in jeopardy or, or even less obvious. And so when you put that type of idea, um, the, the the emasculating part, the feminizing part, where you challenge another man, you, you're basically relegating him to the role of, as in the hood they would say, a bitch. And that's a, telling the man to suck your dick is akin to calling him a bitch, essentially. And, and so you're, you're going to a lot of times you're going to spark some violence with that. It, killing is extreme, but again, so is the, you know, so is the comparison as I, as I alluded to earlier. Yep. And so let me say this and we'll go to the caller. So um, some people, some of the listeners are probably familiar with Charleston White. He's become an internet um, sensation, if you will. 
um, and I don't, and he can obviously be very controversial, if you will. And you heard his response saying, "Hey, I make ten thousand a week. I'm not finna go this far over some words." And so, part of his goal, as he, as he, as he is this character, he, he always tells people, "I'm just being a character." And this is, regardless of how you feel about Charleston White, I'm just walking through something. If everybody will bear with me. Um, Regardless of how you may feel about his character and how controversial and how vile he may go, uh, part of his reasoning in because he spent some time challenging different gang groups or whatever. That interview took place in Chicago when he had said some of the worst things about uh, some of the dead homies in Chicago, and the interviewer was is an interviewer that was saying, "Hey, these are the type of things that are, are crazy for you to say." You know, especially in the Chicago gang culture, and he's highlighting this. So, to your point, Vaughn, and to your point, Sabrine, the history in us even being considered men or citizens in this country has been a long process for our ancestors to where we are today. And so, what happens is African American men, myself included, we are very hypersensitive to what we consider respect. And to your point, Vaughn, on a certain level, based on where you're at in life, if something challenges your manhood, both of y'all are saying, hey, I can understand. Here's what Charleston is trying to take our community, and this is where I agree with him. As men elevate and reach certain levels, the response to what's considered disrespect Words are usually the lowest form, and there's typically not a response that would entail violence. And Absolutely. usually the reason, and the reason that is the case in a lot of cases, in the event that it actually you did you did use words that are actually harm in American culture, they got a language, they got legal language for something that actually brings harm. Otherwise, there is no appropriate response that won't end you up in jail just because something somebody said something to you. But because of our historical chase for our manhood, we still aptly respond to words and verbiage as a way of, oh, you can't disrespect me that way. We'll lose our job over it in a lot of cases. And the highlight mm-hmm. is the lack of masculinity that would be taught to where you wouldn't be so emotional to respond to just words. Just something that I wanted to highlight. Let's get to the caller. 954, last 3698, give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. How you guys doing? My name is Garth and Muhammad. Um, everybody hear me okay? Yes, you're coming through clear. Uh, I brought you on with about a about a minute to go. I'll give you a couple of minutes, so just keep in mind you got a couple of minutes before I go to the top of the hour break. I can keep you on, but just know I got to go to break in about two minutes. Overstood. You know, real quick, man. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the historical measure because a lot of times we have these discussions about niggas and black men, and we don't bring up the historical measure, right? It's important to understand that breaking part, that historical part that produces it. I heard the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan say these words. He said, white men may be the reason we're in the condition, but they're not the reason we stay. 
It's very profound because you can't dismiss one. You can't dismiss the historical content of that when you talk about niggas. White folk produce that, but they're not the reason we stay that because we have examples in front of us. And even when you talk about masculinity and we look at what's going on in today's world, I'm an educator. I'm a principal at a private school. Uh, I've been in education for the last 25 to 30 years. So I've seen young people and how it breaks them down when you're talking about masculinity, what it was and what it now is, and even masculinity when you're talking about him and her and them and they, now there's an ambiguity to what masculinity really is. And so even down to what you all were talking about when you're talking about uh, suck my dick, excuse me, you know. No, you can't say excuse me on here. We talk like that on here, so okay. you're good. Well, my wife is right good, next brother. to me. Okay, I respect that. Oh, 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 I love that. You was honoring your, your lady. I respect that. I thought you were saying the right. apology to us. No, no. I love that. Go ahead, King. And so, and so even when you look at that, a weak-minded man will look at that as disrespect, while a wise-minded man will look at that as ignorance. It's laughable. Why right? would I? Yeah, it's right. Why would I? I'm, I'm only jumping Why in. Would I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm only jumping Why in. would I? Why would I? But I'm going to keep yes, you on. Yes, okay, bro. okay. I'm loving, I'm loving right. the three cents. So let's, if you can stick through the break, we'll get you on right after the break as well. I just got to take care of my sponsors if you don't mind. Overstood. All right, we'll be right back, King. All right, y'all. This Does black culture raise black boys to be real niggas or real men? We'll be right back. Where all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and T-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at MoneyMotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk. I robbed some women of their baby-making years, dragging them along. They built me up. Look at me now. And look at them. If you are creative, I folded you into my artwork. If you were in my artwork, I gave you a job. I gave you a job. I mastered your life. I gave you a house, food, everything you need. I protected and provided for you. I did what men are supposed to do. You know, I remember different quotes I said, like just like really manipulative things to say like, no one's gonna love you the way I do. My God, I'm ashamed of it. And I, that's what makes me angry when I see my brothers do that. We can't do that to, to the women that have done so much for us to even exist. And I saw myself for the first time. All the things I'm saying now, woo, horror. Bit by bit, I stripped myself of my former self. And I swore that the next relationship that I would get in, I would work as hard at love as I worked in my career. 
Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, does black culture raise black boys to be real niggas or real men? You hear a cut from Jindena, if you're familiar with that artist, breaking down how he is upset, not only with himself and other men who basically take away sister's baby-making years to build as he said, himself up as a, a man, and now he's at a space where he regrets it and wants to do better in his quote-unquote next relationship. There's a lot to peel back with that. Uh, we actually have a caller still on, so I want to, if you will, just get finish his thoughts, and we're going to jump right into that cut um, after this brother finishes. Um, say your name again, King. I forgot your name. I'm sorry, brother, but I wanted to let you finish your thoughts and then, so we can jump into this next cut if you don't mind. Yes, sir. Garthian. Thank you, Garthian. Okay. So, yeah, just, just to finish up the point, man, I'm listening to what you all had going on. I have been married uh, 26 years, uh, six children, one wife, no baby mothers. Yeah, I'm proud of that. I got to up that for myself. So, Absolutely. Um, and so to that point about uh, those words and what they do to us and how we respond to them, um, that's maturity. That's 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 that and. That is that words can't hurt me. Now, don't get me wrong. Words are very, very, very piercing. But when you understand the angle of ignorance, then you understand that I cannot be moved to emotion based on that comment, lest I lose my life over and over what? Because you said something to me that I did not like, you see? And so when you're dealing with the fragile mind of a slave-created mentality, that's what you get. A lot right. of work to do on our people. And I'm telling you, being in education, I see it. It's the smallest thing. Student steps on another student's shoe. Hey, man, you stepped on my goddamn shoe because I smacked you up. Yeah. Now think about that. How many lives got lost because somebody got their Nike stepped on? That tells you our mindset and where we are versus where we need to be. So, yes, this, this system has done a phenomenal job making niggas, but that is not what God made. So I'm, I'm going to table it right there. Uh, no, I, I love it. I made it. No, brother, that was a beautiful three cents. Um, I, I love for you to become a regular caller because I say we have the smartest audience in all the radio, and you dropped a lot of gems. I'll even give a quick example before we get into the Jadena cut. Um, but you're absolutely right. Uh, growing up in the South, which I mentioned earlier, South Carolina, three-stop light town, uh, I absolutely would fight any white person that called me a nigga. You know, I didn't mind if my brothers said it to me or whatever, and typically we said it in love to each other, and sometimes we didn't always say it in love. We were upset with one another. But if a white person said nigga, I was fighting. I almost um, lost the opportunity to go to college over, over, over that very particular thing my senior year and almost got in trouble at a military college because I went to a military college because of that very thing. And so I wasn't even learning from my bad examples, if you will, but what it took, and kind of to your point, brother, was uh, yes, sir. it was the concept of learning you're only what you answer to. And I had to realize my, Shout out my, to my work. brother, Vaughn, too. I know him. Okay, absolutely. Super dope, brother. So thank you for supporting uh, that brother called in. So definitely appreciate that. But I'm just kind of highlighting the mindset that you're talking about. Just hearing the term is only what you answer to is what finally got me out of a space where 
Um, not that I want a white person to call me nigga now, if you will, or whatever, but I ain't, I ain't anything that you call me if that's not what I answer to. And to, to your point, understanding the mindset, but I stayed that way well into my 20s, if you will, um, immature over something over words. So thank you for your thoughts, King. Appreciate your um, calling this morning. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, y'all, if we can jump back to that Jandena cut, because I think it's a lot to highlight, and I actually was going to play that one later, but I know I got Sabrine just for a few more minutes, so I had to jump into that brother talking about the aspect of how he said he he took baby-making years. And so here's a reality that I think is very poignant to share in our attempts to become men a lot of boys, if you will, a lot of us raising ourselves, if you are unfortunate not to have, uh, if you will, a father in the home or or, or, or an active father, because there's plenty of active fathers that don't live in the home that do a great job. So I'm not generalizing everyone. I'm just highlighting that we do know the reality is we don't have enough boys with enough father figures. Um, plenty, the majority of black men are in their children's lives more than what the narrative is out there in the media like i always like to clarify that reality but we also can agree it's not enough so let's you know again you can be the majority but it doesn't mean there's not too many that are not involved so with that said for those young boys having to raise themselves then this becomes a reality i think that's fair that i've seen these groups that said that recommend that sisters in a sense let us as boys, as men mature a little later before, if you will, being willing to get too involved. In other words, having having had the American experience to where as much as I am an advocate for healthy marriage before children, I advocate that highly at 50 years old. At 25, my immaturity was similar to what Jindena talks about from a you know different perspective. I was never the bitch hoes type cat or whatever, but I was focused on my career. Definitely wanting to have a, a you know a, a, if you will sisters under, um, under my arm if you will. But if I'm not focused on having a family at that time, she's losing years even though I was a gentleman and a decent brother if you will based on the standard of the time. But if that's not my focus, I'm wasting her time somewhat unintentionally. I can speak on that now at 50, at 25, I don't realize I'm doing that because we both agreed to kick it, if you will. So bring your thoughts to just bringing this aspect into black boys being real niggas versus being real men. Your thoughts, Queen. Did I lose you? Hello. Uh, I didn't get that last part. Oh, okay. Okay. I was just, well, I don't know if you, did you hear enough? I was just basically having you respond to some of what I was saying. I was just highlighting, um, you know, in in my younger years, I wasn't necessarily intentionally trying to waste a a sister's baby making years, if you will. Um, But Mm. there's sentiment that based on our current American experience, that is, is advantageous for sisters to wait to men mature to even be able to, correctly create a relationship with you. So I'm just trying to reiterate what I said because I don't know what you missed. Um, but I just wanted to get your I, thoughts, thoughts to some of what I'm saying because I think it's an aspect of the of the day's discussion. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, actually, me and my partner uh, talk about that quite often. He's uh, eight years older than me, um, and I, I realized um, how important it is for a man to be at a certain point in his life uh, in order to pursue a relationship um, seriously. Because when you're younger, you know, um, you know, just naturally, you know, you have certain inclinations towards things. You're more sexual. You're you're, you're ready to be out there and be doing all these different types of things. And one thing that I've, you know, uh, learned uh, just through conversations, with, you know, with my brothers and different people um, is that usually when a man isn't where he wants to be, um, you know, financially or mentally or wherever, um, you know, everything else is kind of second to that up to and including a relationship. And uh, Whereas with, with women, you know, uh, they, they speak on how we tend to mature a lot faster, but we don't have the same advantages of waiting um, in the same uh, manner, uh, you know, in terms of being able to, you know, have children. Um, and if we're being completely honest, um, our look, our sexual prowess, you know, um, you know, of course, as, as we get older, I feel like, you know, we can we can be more beautiful. But the truth is that um, <laughs> from, from what I've seen, um, most men um, are not, usually checking for a woman that's older because at that point she's probably stuck in her ways. She probably has some baggage. She probably has a, a lot of things that they don't want or responsibilities that, you know, they probably don't even want to have to take on. Now, it's always exceptions to the rule, but just in general, that usually is the, the sad reality for a lot of women where we cannot wait in the same type of way that men can. Like, for example, my, uh, my partner, he's 35 years old. Um, if it was the opposite way around, it wouldn't be the same thing. It's like, oh, she's young. She's a 20, uh, when he met me at 25, uh, but, you know, she's young. She's, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's all good. You know, she got a good head on her shoulder, whatever. If it was the opposite way around and he was eight years uh, past my senior at 35, it'd be like, all right, now what's wrong with her? Uh, <laughs> uh, why is she with somebody? Or, you know, she's much old. It's, it's a lot of different things. So I understand what you're saying uh, wholeheartedly, and I agree with it. Yes, this is a reality that we I think is necessary to speak to. It's not even about the right and wrong of it. It's here's the landscape that we are having to navigate, meaning uh, we don't, in a sense, have enough young boys learning from their fathers because that's how it would naturally happen. They don't have the father, if you will, encouraging, hey, bro, what, when are you going to grow up? When are you going to get your family and be responsible, which was kind of the standard historically. Uh, we can't be foolish and act like that's the reality today. And so to a degree, it becomes smart to recognize, um, like I said, Jen Denner, if you listen to his 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 his, his, his um, that cut, he's highlighting that he was providing and wrapping the sister up and everything, but his head wasn't towards. Like I said, he looks back on it and was like, "Damn, I, that was horrible," because he like these sisters built me up and I was taking care of everything. I was doing the things that a man, quote unquote, does. But he looks back on it and was like, "I wasted her time." And so we can have that conversation and be like, oh, look at how men do or, you know, or, or make it a blame situation, whereas we can just own the reality of, if you will, men that don't have those examples or, being in, or if, if you will, being encouraged to take on the responsibility of a family. If they don't have that in their DNA or somebody showing them that, it could be very much that situation. And one of the ways to possibly avoid that, in my opinion, is – realizing it may be smarter to wait to men mature. Um, 
Um, your your friend wants to get back in, Brother Vernon. So I'll definitely get you back in on the conversation, Brother. I'm going to go to this break and have you come in. Sabrine, if you will, Queen, I know you got to get out of here. If there's any public information you want to give out before I go to break, please do. Thank you for your time, Queen. Yes, um, thank you guys for having me. It's always a pleasure to uh, be on these conversations. I'll leave the uh, the phone near me because I definitely want to hear a lot more about this. Um, but, again, thank you guys so much. My name is Sabrine Sudan Jolly. You can find me everywhere if you just type it in, Sabrine Sudan Jolly. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you for your perspective this morning. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. On Saturday, 4 p.m., November the 11th, Lulu Events presents a play asking the ultimate question, why should I get married? Join us for a tale of love and marriage and a different kind of date night with good food, good drinks, and a celebration of longtime married couples leading by example. Tickets are only $25. Please visit eventbrite.com and search in Georgia for why should I get married? Limited seating, so order your tickets now and catch this night full of love, power, and agreement. Saturday, 4 p.m., November the 11th. Why should I get mad? So when I make this post, a mother can teach you to be responsible, but not how to be responsible for a family. You need a father for that. What I am actually was highlighting specifically was, as we've mentioned time and time again on this broadcast, 82 or 84% of our households in our community are woman-led. Well, if she's there alone without a man at all, then unfortunately the family, the children, are never learning what does it look like for their mother to be taken care of. I'm not talking about him paying all the bills. Get the, Take the money out of it. Let's go to the things that matter. The providing of, okay, it's hard enough to raise a family when there are two involved. It's difficult to pull it off, especially if there's several children. So whether it's a single mother or even a single father for this matter, let me be very clear about this post, even though I put it in the context of needing a father, whether it's a single mother or a single father. While a lot of my mother was an amazing single mother, while there are a lot of people who are an amazing single parents, if you will, well, your children, unless you have other family structured around you in a village, which many of us don't have anymore, your children are not learning the dynamic of what does it look like when father looks out for mother or mother looks out for father. That's a dynamic they will have to learn elsewhere if you don't have an example inside the home. That was the bigger point of this conversation. So, yes, a mother can mm-hmm. teach your children responsibility, but they won't see a father taking care of her. And so what a lot of us as boys, seeing our mother do every damn thing, we don't grow into the natural space of what it looks like to take care of a woman. We start dating women, expecting her to do everything our mother did because our mother still found her best way to take care of us and clean after us, especially as boys, if you will. And so since that was the normal dynamic and our mother is our world, we go out into the world with a false sense of what a woman should be capable of doing. So we don't think nothing about 50-50 and still wanting that woman to do all the duties. We have no concept of how unfair that might be if I'm trying to start 
a family with this woman. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, does black culture raise black boys to be real niggas or real men? Uh, special guest, we just had Sabrina Jolly on, and now Vaughn, the love alchemist, if you will, King. Uh, I'm going to kind of get you a response before I get back to your, uh, your brother that's trying to get back in this thing. If you're on the phone lines, I see a lot of callers out there. If you're just listening via the phone, no problem. If you want to get in on the discussion, you do have to press one, and we will allow you to give us your three cents or ask a question this morning. Um, so, Vaughn, any thoughts on anything that you're hearing? That was a, a response to a social media post I did, uh, I think, last year, actually, or earlier this year, um, saying that, um, you know, um, you need a father, in a sense, to teach you how to be responsible for a family, if you will. So it was just me kind of breaking some give us some clarity to the point because it caused a lot of uproar on social media earlier this year or last year. Um, but your thoughts to anything you're hearing, King, and then we'll get to your friend again. Yeah, I agree with you. And and also I think not only does it take a father, but it takes a network of fathers or a network of men, mm-hmm. several men, to reinforce those, right? This is where the idea, you know, takes a village. And, but I, I think even on a – I think – on that same scale, maybe even on a large scale, there's a code of conduct that people operate by. And, and the stronger that code of conduct and the more you find consistent adherence to that code of conduct within any cultural group, the more consistent your outcomes are going to be, for better or for worse. And I think what clearly see that that's thoroughly lacking there, the code of conduct is, um, is, is weak. Uh, among our men, and, and I'll even go a step further and say that code of conduct uh, for a community, for a culture, for a society, even for a country, is a top-down philosophy in my opinion. It's, it's the same reason why you have millions of households in America that all agree that Sunday is the church day, and none of us have ever spoken to each other. Like this idea, these are many of these ideas that we adhere to and follow closely by our ideas that come from the top down, your cultural leaders, your social leaders, et cetera. And it's just so that we don't have a strong network of, of leaders that pass down a strong code of conduct for us to adhere to. So that's the gist of it from my perspective. Yeah, yeah, let me highlight that, and I'll go to the caller. So, and I'm just being nuanced here. So culture that's developed with families intact, comes out completely different than culture that develops without it. Back to your young male, you know, young elephant male, um, you know, example, if you will, right? And so, um, in a sense, I don't even like even using the quote unquote the word leader, if you will, or whatever, because what happens, and we do have this, we do have, there are plenty of black families who do come together and have their intact families. And, you you know, you typically typically see, you know, when I'm pretty sure this, I'm assuming this is a situation for you, but quite often when people hang out, if you will, singles hang out with singles and married couples hang out with married couples too, you know, kind of I'm generalizing here, but I think that's in general, if you will. And if you were to listen to the conversations of what they're talking about, they're obviously completely different to singles in the sense looking up, looking to link up and maybe become paired, if you will. But once you're paired, um, one of the things, I'm gonna, tell me if I'm correct about this, but if you will, as a man, in being able to take responsibility and hopefully 
have a good choice at where your family lives from a safety standpoint, part of you choosing that safety is you will have the values you want to pass along at home, at home, and you also want to move your children, your family to a community where your children, where that community exhibits the same values in the school system and within the community. So when you have control of things, you're going to do that by choice. That is a very natural human dynamic. And I'm highlighting that because when we've had families that have not been intact for now for decades and decades, we lose sight of how it's even done. Does that make sense, Ron, what I'm, why, why I'm pointing that out? Like, like we, we rail against the foundation that actually creates culture and un, almost unknowingly at this point, if that makes sense. Yes, it makes sense. And, and I think um, to your point, like just looking at myself as a young father, and, and I would consider, let's just say I'm average intelligence. I don't think that the average young father, sub age 30, even gives a, a whole lot of great detail or great thought to the the nuances and the details of how the community affects the family, you know, whether we have a shared ideology and, and so on. I, I think the average person is looking for a comfortable place. And it's not until you get to be a little bit older on the other side of 40, maybe even approaching 50, where you start realizing how some, somewhat kind of like the butterfly butterfly effect, how every little thing matters. Mm-hmm. And then you start, you know, becoming more aware of how these different details and these different um, circumstances will actually impact the outcome. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's that. But, again, unfortunately, a lot of us are hustling backwards. Now, I'm going to say this. And by that, that I mean by that I mean oftentimes we don't learn until after the fact, you know, years later and then we're trying to educate in reverse, you know, by what we shouldn't have done, et cetera. Yeah, and that's why we're we is all like I would say this is the importance of a mental dialogue talk show, if you will, right? Is since we've lost the natural way that it happens, then we have to be very intentional about what we introduce and in a sense become the propaganda that we hate, right? That we talked about earlier in the show. Can we can we induce the culture and values? Because we did this show one time that we highlighted what are the top three the top three things that the black family black culture needs, if you will. And one of my longtime callers, brother Pianchi, called in and said this, and I, I never forgot it. Because uh, whatever the three things, I, you know, I was letting people call in and give their three things, but um, I remember. Um, I forgot what he specifically said as, as the one thing, but in his comment, he said that um, when it comes to this family thing, at the end of the day, parents don't know what they're doing. And and and, and what he meant by that is because he had, he married a sister. He's from from the U.S., but he married a sister from um, from some tribe in Africa, if you will. And within the tribal form or whatever, it's understood that to a degree. The grandparents is raising the parents and the kids, and the grandparents are there. And his point was because the parents are learning this on the spot. So they technically don't know what they're doing. And so it's understood within cultures. That's why you have minimum three generations to raise the kids because the parents don't know what they're doing. So we can't magically wave a wand and get that back. But we can learn about that concept, and you can be the person in your generational line that breaks that curse and tries to ensure you are there to help 
your children raise their kids. So the concept and focus has to become completely different. Let me go to the caller now. I'm sorry about making you hold so long, brother. Um, getting you back in here. You said Garthian, right? Did I say your name correctly this time? Garthian. Yes, yep. sir. You said it correctly. A couple things. Okay. One, you all made a point in the last portion about the wasting of time with, with, with relationships, men and women, when it comes to, to having families. See, that is a conversation that has to be had up front. A lot of times in relationships, we don't talk. We screw. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely. We put the car before the horse as opposed to putting the conversation out there first and putting those expectations out front on the, this is what I want and these things are non-negotiable. Now, once you find out up front that these are the things that I want that are non-negotiable and the person is against that, then you know what you're dealing with. Or if they later on lie, you reserve the right to exit the relationship. I'm going to table that, and then I'm going to move to the next point. Um, I went to eight elementary schools, three high schools, eight elementary schools before I was eight. I've lived in about 40 different places. My father, unfortunately, was a broken man. He was exceptionally abusive. Uh, I grew up with Mr. and Ike, you understand, me twisted together. And so, but I now later found out that my father's father was a very stern man. My uncle didn't have a conversation with him until he was 30. Now, I want you to think about what I just said. Mm-hmm. Fatherhood is taught and it is not taught. It is taught in two different ways. It's either taught by the way you were raised or it's taught by the way you were not raised. And so... But we don't actually have in our community motherhood and fatherhood class per se. Remember, I'm in education. I see it. I see two parents at homes where the father and the mother are in the home, but the father will say, well, I paid the bills, and she does the education, and that is a severe fail. So something is aloof. It's a miss because that thing called education when it comes to fatherhood and really sitting down and say, hey, man, you know, there's a generalism or not generalism, excuse me, I came over there, but there's a general um, line, if you will, when you talk about being a father. Now, naturally, when you have children, I have six and each one of them is different. And they didn't come with a book when they came out on my wife's womb, right? So one is not like the other one, but there's still a general basis of being a father that we should be taught from father to father, even though, of course, mistakes are going to be made. I made a ton of mistakes, you know, and I told my children, I know I messed up with you all in some regard, and for that I apologize. But we really have to look at the fact, we really have to look at the fact that we, this thing, parenting and fatherhood and family, which is the cornerstone of any community. You cannot have community without family. When you talk about what is common unity no, without the, without a family that is intact, though it's going to be mistakes and errors and all no, that little stuff, got, but it's still an intact family. No, thank you, brother. So I want to stop no, thank you, brother. No, I love it, brother. I got to go to break, and I'm going to get to the next caller. But thank you for your three cents. Again, make us a regular, man. We love uh, brilliant brothers and sisters calling into the show. So thank you for your time this morning. We'll be right back, y'all. We're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. 
What happens when your customers call your business and you're too busy to answer or call them back in a timely manner? You lose that business. Shockingly, 61% of inbound calls go unanswered. But fear not, tchmedia.ai is here to change the game. We specialize in capturing, nurturing, and converting your prospects into loyal customers. With our state-of-the-art communication solutions, no interaction will be left behind. When you miss a call, we've got you covered with automatic, engaging texts that keep your prospects connected and eager to choose you over your competitors. Don't let potential customers slip away. Make the smart choice with tchmedia.ai and skyrocket your conversions today. Tchmedia.ai is here to change the game. There's no such thing as a high-value man. It's only a man and a gentleman. Once you reach the level that you're a man, what makes you a high-value man? Your degree, your job, your suit, your salary? A high-value man, if you take away his title, can he go talk amongst poor men and still have his way? So take away the high-value man's car, his salary, you strip him of that, and you put him amongst man. Can he still lead without his high-value title? I can still lead without a high-value title. It's already hard just being a man. It's already hard in our time just finding out what a man is. Why I can't just be an honest man? Why I can't be a good man? Man, why I just can't be a man when most of us ain't even seen a man? Most of us are coming out of our mother's home, don't know what a man look like, don't know what a man do, don't know how a man think, don't know what a man behavior is, and don't know how to define a man. That's why we real niggas. That's why we can't let go of our childhood boyish value system that we had when we were 15 that we still remain and hold on to when we 45. What's up, cuz? On Pyro. When your seasons change, your tune change as a man. I once thought like a child, so I behave like a child. I now think like a man, so I behave like a man. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, does black culture raise black boys to be real niggas or real men? As you hear Charleston White giving his thoughts on, quote, unquote, how hard it is to be a man. And the fact that a lot of us are holding on to youth values, as we highlighted earlier in the show, that comes culture that don't serve uh, an actual community. Um, our last caller, Garthian, highlighted something I always say. We under, it's not, and it's something that we, we all understand when you hear it, but a strong community doesn't exist without a strong family. And the cornerstone of strong families is marriage, even though it's a word. We don't love highlighting today. We, we make the word a bad word in so many in, in so many conversations not really realizing marriage ain't the issue it's the two people understanding of what that union looks like and the role that it plays on the next generation they're so connected but unfortunately as the first I always say the first group of humans to be raised with Hollywood movies and we've romanticized it and lost sight of what it is actually for uh, if you will. I'm going to go ahead and jump to the caller before I get your thoughts going. Area code 678-LAST-3097. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. 097, you live on the air. How you doing? Hey, how you doing? Hello? Give us your name. Yes, you're live. Oh, yes, you're Clive. Live. This is, yes, yes, Clive. 
How you doing, Mr. Montoya? You good today? Yep, doing good, King. What you got for us, brother? All right. So I wanted to uh, – I heard the last clip you had, and he was saying that um, we kept the value systems. And he was saying, hey, we didn't know what a man was. Everybody's definition is different. But the one thing that all human beings want is to be successful. So if I'm taught that being a pimp is successful, that's what I'm going to see. If I'm taught that – if I'm not taught that marriage is successful, right now most people on, on – we poo-hoo marriage, we poo-hoo relationships, we poo-hoo getting with a woman, taking care of a woman – being a protector, being a father. So because we don't think that's the best outcome that we're going to receive, we believe that, hey, you know what, if I'm out here being a player, I'm going to get most satisfaction, and we don't believe in duty, right? We don't believe that, hey, we in the responsibility. Like, that's not my responsibility. Everybody, and I'm just saying because you don't believe that responsibility is going to get you the outcome that you want because the outcome you want is something totally different because we're all humans. We all want an outcome. If you value being that when, when your kids look at you and they say that, Hey, this is a great man right here. If you value that, then you're going to be, then, then you're going to work towards that. If you value that your homeboys say, yo, this is, yo, yo, he get all the girls. He got all the girls. Then you're going to try to get all the girls. And so that is, I just believe that we have to, I just believe that in order for to get to that place right there is that, Men have to see that marriage is going to get that generational wealth and going to get, or if that's your goal, but that, that it would be the best outcome to achieve the thing that we want. Because when you're young, you think that being not good in class, you, you don't think that school is important. You don't, I'm not saying everybody. I'm just saying that if that's right. taught in the culture. Right. If, right. if, if you're taught that, that's all. So if taught that rap music is the right thing, if taught that playing ball, we all just want to be successful. Every man, it's just that what the culture shows to be successful as what being a, what will be a man, because we're not shown the downfalls of going to jail. We're not shown the downfalls of people, of all the guys who didn't make the NBA. We're never shown the losers. I always say the lottery is never, they never show the losers, they only show the winners, right? But there's millions more losers than winners. So that's all it is. We have to have it where we value the outcome that being a responsible man dedicated to community and dedicated to his family and as he said, being an honorable man, a man of character, being able to walk in those places will get you the respect and the and to see yourself in the light that you want to see yourself in. I hope that makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense, man. I thank you for your three cents, and I wholeheartedly agree, and I would like to highlight it and connect um, what you're saying to what Garthy in the last caller said, just connected in this sense. Um, Garthy and highlighted the concept of, you know, fatherhood has to be taught and uh, into the basis of this conversation, I, I was having a dialogue with one of my my former my actually not one but my former co-host for two years, um, Christy Gaynell, and she was just like, um, when when young boys experience not having a father, you know, I don't understand how they repeat that cycle, and and I'm, I'm gonna connect the dots here in a second, and I just kept explaining to her that unfortunately while they do feel the absence. And I remember to a degree feeling it to, you know, to a degree fortunate for me, my father got married and was heavily in my life during my high school year, high school years. And it's, it definitely saved me uh, personally, again, just highlighting that. Um, but with that said, that ultimately manhood has to be taught. So while a young boy can have that same absent father situation and then they find themselves, if they find themselves repeating that cycle, while they thought all their lives, I didn't, I hated it when my father was around. I don't want to be this way to my children. But if they find themselves in a situation where 
to Garthian's point, they're sexing before they figure out what the hell they're really doing. And there's a baby that comes out of that in that moment. The discipline required is the discipline also is a thing you teach your children has to be taught. So if that young male who in his own absence hated that his father wasn't around, but when he's thrust into that situation without being trained on the discipline of how to become a man, some of them will step away despite having that feeling themselves. And I'm just kind of walking through the psychology. And to your point, Clive, a lot of those successful things, like you said, if you're told a pimp is successful, you're being taught by other males who are not teaching proper manhood. But if you're told that's successful, that will be their aim. So great point, brother. Um, Again, I hope I'm making sense with everything that you're saying, but I appreciate the call, King. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, I understand everything you're saying. Thank you so much for having me. No, absolutely, brother. Brother Vaughn, you want to jump in on, uh, you know, I know I, I know I said a lot, brother Clive said a lot, but any thoughts on what you're hearing, King? Yeah, man, we had some brilliant callers today, man. Uh, brother Clive uh, laid out a, a really good point about, you know, ideal, ideals, right? Even Frederick Douglass said it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And mm-hmm. so I think the idea has to be established, what is strong? Because once that idea is cemented into the psyche of unity or your society, average man, because that's what you're looking for, the average man, that's the, that's the larger body of your collective, 60-plus, 70-plus percent. And average man aspires to an ideal of a, a constructive ideal about what strong is, then your outcomes are going to be better. If the average man thinks it is disrespectful for you to step on his shoe, and then that results in a fight, then that your outcomes are going to reflect that. So um, I think when you consider the fact that humans in general are more emotional than we are logical, we're first emotional and then we're logical. And, and, and so this is why it's so important to have a peer pressure and a network of fathers and a network of boys that encourage certain outcomes, that frown on certain behaviors and encourage other behaviors. And, you know, that's kind of what's sorely missing, but at the same time now we're in an unprecedented time where everyone individually almost either A, has to find a network to become a part of where we can have those types of outcomes, or B, on an isolated level, we have to figure it out for ourselves. And that hasn't proven necessarily to be the, the best scenario, but, but that's, where it, that's where we are right now. No, that's absolutely where we're at. And, um, for anybody else that wants to get in, 646-787-1691. I see some other callers out there. If y'all want to join, please press 1 and we'll get you in um, on this conversation. And um, you're right. You have to seek out those things. And, and here's a here's the thing that I struggle with, um, Vaughn. It's when we kind of, in a sense, speak to the culture of, of where we're at, a lot of times we're frustrated with, outcomes and we look at the outcomes and say look at how we are and look at what we don't do or to your point that if you know like I said the, the average is the means right so if you're in a like to your to your example if you're in a space where hey stepping on my shoe is a form of disrespect and your response is violence right the reality is um, that type of violence gets highlighted because it's not normal to kill somebody over something like that or whatever. But the reality is that's very much the minority of our culture that even acts that way. But the squeaky wheel gets 
gets the attention. And so it is crazy as hell to kill somebody over stepping on a shoe, right? Like that's absolutely crazy. We'll see that happen and then make the mistake of in saying that's how we are. That's how the black community is. I'm kind of walking through this for this reason. So for the young boys that are caught up into that perspective, maybe haven't had the correct male guidance to where stepping on a shoe shouldn't be that type of infraction. Um, the psychology to some of what Clive said and to some of even what you said, Vaughn, the reality is it's going to take much longer for a young male having had that upbringing because ideally it should have happened in the home. And sometimes we even assume that, um, like a brother like yourself, uh, I try to be involved in the community as well, but plenty of good men, which there's plenty of good brothers out here. There are more good brothers than not. That's, I want to I make sure that's still understood as much as we're having this conversation. However, capacity based on the, the, the number of children that are coming up without any mentorship or without a father and sisters out there trying to find that mentorship. The reality is we do have enough children now where the capacity is, is, is becoming above what the community can handle. And so it comes to where we have to force what does the fix look like? The fix looks like getting back to the foundation of intact families because ultimately your biggest influence will be on your children that you bring up in your home to your Frederick Douglass quote, Ron, it's easier to raise men than fix, I mean, raise boys than to fix broken men. Right now, we're trying to fix a, a lot of broken men because we're in a desperate situation, not realizing the fix is get together properly and raise your children with values to, to repeat that like cultures have always done. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Are you intimidated by money? Well, this is a question most people never think to ask themselves. But when forced to think about it, many people realize they have unrecognized fears that truly affect how they deal with money. If you want to learn more about money and the fears that keep you from prosperity, join us for Making Money Matter Mondays, where money meets mental health with personal finance coach, Ashley Thomas, and psychotherapist, Dr. Katrina Pitt. Every second Monday of the month, find out if you're intimidated by money and what to do about it. To receive a link to this free Zoom event, please DM the Making Money Matter or the Mental Dialogue Instagram pages or contact 404-604-9477. We'll see how it relates to what I had to say. Uh, we're actually going to start with what the brother had to say. He says, how did we get to the point of black women feeling unprotected? How did we get to the point of males leaving the home? We know who is responsible for our condition, but who is accountable of continuing the infection, infection after knowing what systematic dysfunction was passed to us to stay slaves? There are two genders accountable to keep, them, keep, to keep passing this behavior to the future generation, and it takes both looking heavy in the mirror. Her question was, do you feel that black women saying they feel unprotected is blaming black men? His response was no. As masculine instinct, I see a cry for rescue. Her response was, I personally feel it's a request for restoration. Black women not only want to be rescued from uncomfortable situations, but also want to move safely and freely through their communities on a regular. That's it. My response to this back and forth was simply this. 
I said to her, I said, Queen, that's a fair, response, fair request, but like it or not, black women who do feel the protection that you speak of are typically in communities with plenty of marriages around them. This is not to suggest or to act naive about the number of black girls and women who have not been protected inside of two-parent stru- structures as well. However, in order to improve as a culture, we must note the best opportunity to do so is boys and girls being raised with a father at home to show proper treatment of their mother. I understand you think it is a matter of getting more men to understand the black woman's plight. However, in too many cases, you are asking this of men who have no clue about masculine protection. This is not an excuse, but a reality that would not have to be said or discussed had they learned it from their fathers naturally. We could obviously go into that discussion, but thank Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, does black culture raise black boys to be real niggas or real men? There's, I don't even remember what show that. Well, actually, we did a show on toxic, toxic masculinity years ago, so that's where that cut came from. And it was just highlighting what it ultimately looks like, what I was saying in a sense prior to the break. But speaking of real niggas, if you will, Vaughn, I'm pretty sure you caught that this week with, um, was it um, Nia Long and Jeezy had their conversation. I haven't had a chance to watch the entire thing. But one of the things that come out of their dialogue is talking about their, you know, Jeezy's divorce and Nia Long talking about her departure from the um, brother that used to coach at Boston. And from what I understand. But one thing that came out of it was Jeezy said, real niggas don't cheat. And so that's something that came out of out of that conversation. Um, I think I actually understand where the brother's coming from, and I don't disagree in the sense of if you have the type of integrity that that you, in a sense, should carry yourself with. So in that sense, uh, I, I respect absolutely where he comes from, but he's obviously been part of the real nigga culture, just being a former drug dealer and highlighting that in his music. So in court, so I guess in a sense, he in a sense calls himself a real nigga. But what I asked. What I highlighted that in the promotion is, well, is that at least a step in the right direction if the real niggas is going to be committed, if you will, okay? So I know I've been a little facetious <laughs> with it, uh, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on the perspective. Because, again, I actually I actually don't disagree with him, although I'm not trying to be a real nigga, if you will. Go ahead, King. Yeah, no, I mean, I think as much as anything, he was just talking about moving with integrity. And... um you know, it's ironic, of course, that he attached it to what a real nigga. But, um, but yeah, as much as anything, I think that's what he was talking about. And so, from that perspective, you know, uh, moving with integrity and and standing in a, a a truth, standing on what you say, doing what you say you do, being where you say you're going to be. Um, if that's what he meant by quote unquote real nigga, we we draw a parallel to that as being just manhood. You know the 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 highest examples right. of manhood. So from that, yeah. I have to agree. No, absolutely. Yeah, I did watch speak. the whole. Interview. Okay, cool, cool, cool. But yeah, but let's speak on that right there for um, before we close this out because I think it it highlights if I keep encouraging hey this dynamic dynamic of how we need to understand each other and that you know obviously healthy marriage before children again a hashtag that we constantly push. And obviously, a lot of things I'm sharing are kind of falling back to that cornerstone, if people listening can agree, that is the cornerstone of, of strong families. But let's highlight um, with that conversation, because I think it's very pertinent to realize this. And so um, if you are a young boy or to a degree, I don't even say a young boy, 
the reality is as societies advance, if you will, each generation in a sense is allowed, if you will, to live a live as youth, if you will, and the transition into manhood happens a little later, especially in Western and US society, if you will. So that is a reality that again we can't waver waver one and make it back like how it used to be. And I'm not saying that we would even want to do that. Uh, but I do want to talk about this dynamic. Since the reality is not only are we um, highlighting that it's probably smarter to wait to uh, to boys have had enough life to kind of think about their actions and want to get in a sense more serious or more intentional about a family. Um, it, it is a huge difference to pair much later. Earlier generations paired sooner. So the aspect of being out here as a single person in your 20s and 30s you know, you you know, sisters are old maids, considered old maids back in the day at 25, if you will. And 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 again, the generation would say, "Hey, son, when you gonna get serious? When you gonna have a family?" Like you were encouraged by your next next generation to do that. So that's not our reality. And because we will wait longer, and like I said, to in my opinion, you should wait on us as men to mature, so that will be later, if you will. So the point being, when it comes to the, to this integrity thing is realizing that, as Bond said, the integrity, the manhood is simply that. And so what happens is the way that plays out in building relationships is this. So because of the current culture and the things that we've learned in Western society, if you are paired with someone that you being having lack of integrity when it comes to another woman in your situation, if you're paired with someone that you know that's her deal breaker, there is no concept of she should understand. While we have, you know, some historical Let me context. Ask. Go ahead, brother. Please jump in. Yeah, I, you know, I think that we find it more appealing to until later and, and paired later because it takes us longer to mature. So we, we pair later because we mature slower. You know, these ideas of what it takes to actually be a full-fledged adult, it's taking us way – look, the the average man, I think, let's go back to when our grandfathers were young men coming up, they were more responsible at age 18 than probably than the average 28 to 30-year-old is today. Right. So it's not right. that it's a biological it's a cultural and a social deficiency absolutely. that we're experiencing. No, absolutely. That's what I, that's why I say in society today, right? I'm saying, yeah, I'm speaking to all the cultural factors for why that's happening, but I'm also just highlighting and again, still hopefully being consistent in why it, I think it's smarter to wait for us as, you know, like I say myself included, but for sisters to consider pairing with a man who who is mature because of this same thing that you're talking about, Vaughn. So that's what we're saying, the same thing with that. But I'm also including that. Oh, go ahead, brother. I wasn't, no, I wasn't disagreeing. I was just, I was just adding to what you were saying. I I agree with you completely. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. So what I'm highlighting is until that level of maturity is reached, then the concepts that are out here within the dating world of, you know, so unquote, it's seven women, you know, seven women to one man. Those numbers are all incorrect, by the way. And I can prove it to anybody that wants to challenge me anywhere you want to look at it. Those numbers are not close. But, yeah, are there more 
of available sisters and men, yes, it's not nowhere clear to the, the numbers that pe- people put out there. But because people are putting those numbers out there to kind of force a context in the culture as if, well, these women better get in line, if you will. And again, since we're talking about being men, we're going to talk about it from our standpoint. So I don't buy into none of that madness. However, where I'm still trying to be consistent is as the man matures and understands, okay, I want to have something. I want to have a family, and I not value that. I'm highlighting that despite what's being said in the culture while we're young and immature about, well, you better line up and get several women and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you're having trouble handling one, then it's probably not smart to try to handle two. Um, are there unique men that can <laughs> do it? Absolutely. I'm not saying that can't happen, but again, it's a lot of stuff is being encouraged in the culture without the aspect of even looking at the history for the men who that have been capable of doing it and who do it well. At no point in history has there ever been a lot of men, despite what you're hearing out here. But I'm just going back to the real niggas don't cheat. That is true. Like people don't realize in marriages is again the squeaky wheel gets the, makes the noise. So people don't realize people don't cheat as much as we think. It's just we are paying attention to when we have bad cheating. And and again, I'm not trying to. Um, minimize that cheating happens, but it just doesn't happen to the degree that we think because anything that's sensationalized, you think it happens more than you, than it than it actually happens. And so what happens is when people make a commitment, because half our marriages do stay intact, that doesn't mean all 50% of them are great, right? I'm talking about within the entire American culture, just speaking to that, I don't think it's, I don't think it's quite 50% for, for African-Americans specifically, it's a little lower, but I'm just kind of generalizing and trying to bring this all home. So what happens is, when there is a value system and understanding that marriage completely is legacy, then love, not that love is secondary to it. It's just the order of things. And so when you go into it with the legacy portion, people don't want to put that at risk. And so if you have a sister who her personal value system in current times is cheating is a, a non-factor for her. Cheating is a deal breaker for her. You're wasting your time to try to convince that sister to to be okay with anything else. You can't say, look at what my grandparents and great-grandparents put up with if that's not her mindset. So if you want to have a legacy, you better act accordingly. That's manhood by knowing who you're with. If you go into it and try to force something, that's not what you so those are my final thoughts. I wanted to leave it to you, Brother Vaughn, who brings all the wisdom to this conversation. Thank you so much for your time today. But I wanted to give you the final thoughts for this morning's discussion. Does black culture raise black boys to be real niggas or real men? Give your final thoughts and any contact information you want to give out. Thank you, King, for being with me today. I appreciate you. Um, I will land with this. I think that as much as anything, we have to find something that we feel really strong about because the emotional fuel is what is going to take to to push us through the ugly parts of the relationship. Like when you find couples that communities where the relationships don't end, where they stay married for long times, it's not because they like each other necessarily or because the relationships are good necessarily, but there is a pressure being applied usually from the social circles, peer pressure community pressure that keeps those marriages intact. 
And we're at, a, again, we're at an unprecedented time where we have to apply that pressure to ourselves. So um, find something that you feel strong about, find that in, one, in common with someone and, and link up accordingly. Uh, you can reach me at, you can find me on social media, or you can also email me at lovealchemist11 at gmail.com. Now, I love it. See y'all next Saturday. If you're in Atlanta, why did I get married? Part two at 4 p.m. Go to the event, Bright in Georgia and look it up and go to that event tonight. It's going to be a beautiful event at 4 p.m. today here in Atlanta. All I ask is that you think. Ah, summer. The sun, the sand, the ingrown hairs. Atlanta, if you're wasting your summer on shaving and waxing, then it's time for laser hair removal at Laser Away. Text radio to 53043 now for permanent hair reduction. No more ingrowns. No more razor burns. No more drama. And right now at Laser Away Atlanta, save up to $250 on your laser hair removal package. Text radio to 53043 today and start your journey to smooth at Laser Away. At Resurgence Orthopedics, Georgia's largest and most trusted orthopedic practice, our expert physicians use the latest technology to get you moving again. At Resurgence, we provide comprehensive operative and non-operative care, rehabilitation, and imaging services at our 24 locations, as well as a walk-in clinic if injury occurs outside normal business hours. Resurgence will get you back to everyday life quickly. Schedule an appointment at resurgence.com. That's R-E-S-U-R-G-E-N-S.com. Resurgence Orthopedics, for all that moves you. 